the free for all roundtable round two on round two we say good morning to michelle morrow she is a music teacher tim hudak is here former leader of the ontario conservatives mark warner is also here international trade lawyer and um let's actually start with let's see well let's start with president Zelensky. uh for those of us more inclined to follow politics and also follow politics as a kind of a show uh it was quite the show yesterday and in particular it was quite the show as he spoke to congress um uh, Nick Marano, you want to throw in one of those Zelensky clips for me so we can just capture some of the uh, sound? And, and bear in mind, if you didn't see it, he's still wearing the stuff he wears all the time, which is sort of an olive color or military color um, sweatshirt and uh, cargo pants. In all states, cities, and communities, all those who value freedom and justice, who cherish it as strongly as we Ukrainians, in all our cities, in each and every family. I hope my words of respect and gratitude. This is the first time he has been outside of the country that we know of since the war began, and we're on day 301. And Tim Hudak, it was political theater, but with a very certain purpose. It, it makes you your heart pump, John. It, uh, I, I love Zelensky. I see him as the closest thing to Churchill in in our lifetimes, no doubt. Appropriate thinking, the Americans who have led the way and kept the glue of NATO together. And, and I'll add another point, too, not to concentrate strictly on Zelensky, although the majesty of it was incredible, but also to President Biden. I mean, if, if Zelensky is the modern Churchill, then Biden's coming off a lot like the, the modern Truman. And I do believe that Americans, and I'm one of the fans for from, from abroad, I, I like the Hawks, the Reagan, Truman, Kennedy. I like the way Joe Biden has been tough. Is maybe the president actually has a chance to, to put the stake through the heart of Putin's expansionist plans. So, you know, good for him in terms of how he was standing side by side in the powerful, clear, plain language they both use. It was an inspiration. Mark Warner, I have to think one of the purposes was also, I mean, obviously he wants the money to keep flowing in from the U.S. to Ukraine, but I think he also wants to neuter the opponents of that money being given to Ukraine. And by standing there in Congress and seeming to be actually genuinely Churchillian, it makes it harder for people like Tucker Carlson, who call him a guy who looks like he manages a strip house. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I did note that a couple hours after the standing ovations that the uh, money that was promised was held up in an appropriation bill, um, ostensibly on other matters relating to the border. Um, it is theater. Um, those things are always theater. And sometimes people outside of the United States get taken up by the theater a little bit more, I think, than chasing people who live there. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what this really means. I also thought that uh, Biden... Biden, I didn't listen to the speech very much. I had the sound off. I just listened to some of the press conference. And I thought that Biden, if you listen to what he actually said, in very uncertain terms, told told Zelensky, I'm not escalating this war. And if I did escalate the war, NATO wouldn't hold together and Europe would fall apart. You don't want to hear that, but that's what I'm going to tell you, which is the exact right thing to say. People will hear what they want to hear from this. But uh, that part of what Biden said, which is the core message to communicate back to Zelensky, he made. And that's why I don't think it was a complete uh, disaster. Yeah, and Michelle Morrow, that's where we get to the jeopardy of what the U.S. is doing right now. It's kind of like we were talking about this on the show yesterday morning. They are going to give a Patriot missile and launcher, or Patriot launcher and many missiles, I imagine, to Ukraine. But they can't send the Americans onto Ukrainian soil to teach them how to use it because that would be war. 
Right. But there is some training going on with other um, with other countries and Ukrainian soldiers. So although we can't send our troops directly there, we are helping in some ways. And the Americans have sent the most out of any of the NATO countries. So I I really appreciate, seems like too simple of a word, but I really appreciate that Zelensky took this risk to leave the country for the first time in 10 months to come to speak to the American Congress. I don't know if he'll win anyone over, but I think he tried his best and it, it was a great display for me of bravery. And I, I'm sorry, Mark, I'm one of those people, I love the theater. <laughs> so it's really nice to see the, them standing up and, and speaking and expressing his gratitude. We may not be able to actually put boots on the ground, but I think we are supporting them to the best that we can. And if we don't support them, then what do we do when Russia attacks someone next? Well, and you're from a military family, so I'm sure you know this, Michelle, but um, a lot of Canadians don't know the extent of Canada's actual boots on the ground involvement. And some of those boots are actually in England where we're at a military base where we train. They bring in Ukrainian soldiers, we train them, and then we deploy them. And a friend of mine was there and eating lunch, looking around the room and thinking some of these people are going to be dead in a week. Yeah, it's it's really it's really it brings it host to home. There are members of um, of local units which are going. It's a it's a tasking that has been sent out even to Rory's unit. So it, it really does hit home that we are doing the best we can, like Biden said, but not but doing the scan also not escalate it. doing our best we can thing. to support them. Go of ahead. That one thing here, um, the Royal We here, because again, what we are being Canadian part of the we is I think it's some pretty good suggestion that we have Canadian special forces on the ground uh, in Ukraine and that, um, you know, there have been enough broad hints of that certainly by the american and the british intelligence people of course being in canada we'd have less information from our own public authority and i think that's something that we should debate more openly here if that is in fact the case uh tim hudak this is totally in your wheelhouse at the ontario real estate association but it's not just about housing it's about schools it's about hospitals it's about roads water processing uh interesting piece today in the paper about how sure welcome five hundred thousand new people a year but where how are we going to service them we don't have the infrastructure we don't have transit that's absolutely true. There, there will be increased pressure with a record number of immigrants coming into Canada uh, on our transit system, on our health care system, on education, and in particularly uh, on housing. And a significant majority will will move to the greater Toronto-Hamilton area because they see the most opportunity, you know, right, right here. But it is a necessary condition. We're not producing enough kids of our own despite our best efforts. And as a result, we need to bring in new talent. This is solvable, right? It's going to take time. It's going to take some tough decisions that we need to accelerate infrastructure investment. There's been helpful accounting changes that have allowed that to happen uh, under the last two governments in Ontario. You need to expedite the review process, whether that's for housing or for transit, and put NIMBYism within a cage. Have public input, but don't let it abuse the system and draw things out. Water and sewer can be put into a utility system like we have for energy to enable quicker building. And, of course, you need to make sure that some of the new Canadians coming into our country are going to have the skills to build the new homes, to reward the trade put that up higher in the point system so that everybody can actually find a place they can afford to live. Although, Mark Warner, perhaps we're just being too ambitious in the number of people we're bringing to the country. I realize we want somebody to pay off our pension, but if we don't have the infrastructure, then why are we crowding people in? Yeah, it's such a big issue immigration and, and how you actually account for this and you know the issue the numbers i always focus on are net migration because we actually lose a lot of people in canada every year a lot of a lot of them go south and you know it's so hard to 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 sort of please be 
to tease between what's really going on here. Look, I, I think the infrastructure issues are real, John. I actually focus on what I would call social infrastructure in a sense that, that you know, a lot of changes happened in Canada from when I was a kid in the early 1970s. And I know that it's a conversation that I have with uh, many um, of my black contemporaries who feel that this country in some ways is going backwards. And um, um, when it comes to questions of race and, and uh, so I, I, I feel it's one thing to announce that we're bringing in lots of immigrants, but we're bringing them in from lots of parts of the world that don't like black people. <laughs> so I kind of and I, and I don't think it's a good enough answer for me at any rate as a 59 year old black person, whatever it is my age uh, to say, well, we'll deal with it when they get here. No, I think we need to have a more coherent um, policy around immigration altogether, and that includes not just looking at housing, but also this whole social infrastructure question of, of the balance of having a balanced immigration policy and making sure that that, uh, that it all fits together and we're actually building a community that's going forward um, and not going backwards. Um, not a lot of time left on the clock, but on the lighter side of things, Stanford University has set up a website where you can take a look at all the words we should no longer be using. Michelle Morrow, I understand some of these. But when you get into, for example, not using the phrase beating a dead horse or killing two birds with one stone because it, you know, is normalizes violence against animals, that seems a little much. Yeah, I think we need, there's a fine line that was definitely not followed here. Like, the, yes, there are some terms and phrases that we should not be using anymore. And um, I catch myself starting them and, and I realize, oh, my gosh, this is not this is not appropriate and this is not something I should be using. Um, but then it's, it goes so far over the line. And I think the people who are against the, getting rid of any words, this just feeds into their camp because they're going to this is to them is going to feed their fire that people are too sensitive and they don't know how to deal with things versus people who are perhaps on the other side who say, okay, like me, who there are words we should not be using and we need to take them out of our vernacular. But a paper like this will not help our cause. Okay, Tim Hudak, you work in an office place. For example, do you walk into a boardroom with uh, men and women and say, hey, guys? Well, well, no, but this this is when you get into the area, the danger of making lists. I'm sure they had the right intention, and then they jumped off the, the deep end in a big way. Use, use common sense in how you use phrases to, to put up this whole new dictionary to say, under no circumstances should you say user or American or brave or addicted. I'd say two birds with one stone. I don't think the birds get too mad at it anyway. Look, I, I think that um, this has now jumped to the point of satire, and it does damage to the seriousness which I take, Stanford University. Folks, we got to call it there because we're out of racetrack, but that's okay. Mark Tui's going to pick it up on the other side. He's in for the Jerry Agar Show today, or in for Jerry doing the Jerry Agar Show. Uh, my thanks to Tim Hudak, Michelle Morrow, and Mark Warner. And Nick Marano, this is one of my favorite parts of the Charlie Brown Christmas. And I think it's the opening sequence, right? They're all out skating. So, listen, that's our time for today on this show. This Clydesdale Wagon of Fun continues on the other side. I'll be back tomorrow, and we'll be full of all sorts of warm and fuzzy Christmas sentiments and also probably in the midst of winter hell. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.